So a few years ago, few man, how long ago was this when we were doing the uh, extension? No, oh. uh, it's been two thousand years since Christ. It, yeah, it's been a while, <laughs> not not that long, but it, it sure feels like it sometimes. Um, Carissa and I were at a different church, and we were both on the um, on the choir, praise team, and choir, and we were learning a song. And I still remember it to this day, you know, and it, because it was a choir, it was in parts. And so I remember my part. And I'm sure that Carissa remembers her part differently than, than I remember my part. But it was just about during this time that something had happened and my motorcycle stopped working. And the, one, of the, one of my friends um, who I worked with, and who we lived in the same neighborhood, his motorcycle was not broken. And he had ridden to work that day. And in order for me to get home, I had to get on the back of the motorcycle with him. I have no problem riding motorcycles. I have a problem not being in control when I'm on a motorcycle. So having to hold on to someone else as they're scooting around, and not only that, I'm, I'm not tiny. <laughs> Kip, is tiny by comparison, and his motorcycle kind of ref reflected it. It was a tiny little kind of combo dirt bike slash road bike. So it was it was a tiny motorcycle, and I'm sitting on the back of it, and I'm squeezing, holding on for dear life. I am scared out of my gourd, and this song popped into my head, and while I'm on the back of the motorcycle, scared out of my gourd, I'm reciting the song. And uh, as you can tell, my voice isn't as, as uh, pristine as it normally is. Uh, I just got off of having the flu, so bear with me while I go through the song. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restoreth my soul. He leads me beside the still waters. Well, I could go on and finish the rest of it. But basically, it's all of Psalm 23. Word for word. And so I'm on the back of this motorcycle, just completely relying in not my own power, because I'm not in control of this motorcycle. I'm relying on someone else's power and relying upon God to get me to this place I needed to get to safely. Well, how is it that I was able to recite word for word Psalm 23? Because they were preparing to sing this song. And it was constantly in my mind. And so when I was in a situation where I needed, desperately needed those words to remind me that I'm safe in his arms. I'm safe in his control. Those words were able to be there. And they were able to help me get through what, you know, in my mind was huge, but in the grand scheme of things was fairly small. 
And I, I say that because um, it reminded me of another situation where um, Psalm 34 <laughs> was used in a particular situation, a very difficult trial. Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Going on a little bit further. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Does anybody know what incident I'm talking about with this particular uh, psalm? Say that? The people whose children died. The Willises. That's right. Um, Scott Willis, Pastor Scott Willis lost, uh, was it six or was it nine? I thought oh. it was seven. <laughs> seven. <clears throat> In a fiery car crash on the interstate. But as the mom and dad, Scott and Janet, are getting out trying to rescue their children from the flames of this burning vehicle. Scott, from the opposite side of the vehicle, as they're both trying to frantically get inside to purposefully stick their hands into the flames to retrieve their children, Scott yelled out to his wife and said, Psalm 34 which they had been memorizing in their Sunday school class and in, their, in, uh, in the sermons that Scott was preaching. So the, the power of that psalm in reminding the Willises during a very difficult time in their life of great suffering in their life, how would they have been able to remember those things if they had not committed those things to memory? Now, I've got up on the board um, something that we'll, we'll dig deeper into, but today's class, start with the, today's, uh, is the start of our series on Christology. Anybody know what the, the term Christology means? Study of Christ. Study of Christ, yes, exactly. Well, where would we get the information that we need in order to be able to study Christ? Come on, this guys, this is a gimme. Come on. The Bible. Yeah, very good. <laughs> um, and throughout time, uh, people have been uh, singing to each other psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. They've been reciting creeds. Creed, does anybody know what the word creed means? Creed, credo, I believe. Say it again. Credo, I believe. Credo, I believe. It's Latin for to believe. And lest we think that, uh, ah, that's just an in, in, uh, invention of the church, creeds, so that we can 
codify what we believe so that you know we don't have to really believe we can just believe this little tiny section and we're good that's not the case as a matter of fact in first timothy 316 it's widely held that this particular section of scripture is a creed set forth by the apostle paul and he says great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness he was manifested in the flesh vindicated by the spirit seen by angels proclaimed among the nations believed on in the world taken up in glory right there paul is using meter and rhyme even though we we don't really see how it's rhythmical in in english it was in the original language so it was it was something that paul used to help us to remember certain very important facts of the faith. The mystery of godliness. He, Christ, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in the world. The, the idea of memorizing scripture is not something new. Um, David said, I've hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Um, growing up, I was uh, raised in a lukewarm Catholic home. Not really practicing Catholic, but my mom always said, oh, you got to go to church. You got to go to church. And then we were moved over to the Episcopal Church for reasons we can discuss at a later point. Um, and in the Episcopal Church is where I learned for the first time the Nicene Creed. Does anyone know the Nicene Creed? All right, first of all, who's heard of the Nicene Creed? Good. Who's heard the Nicene Creed? Okay. Who knows the Nicene Creed? Hmm. If you started saying it, I could probably. Yeah. But I can't. You could start it for you. All right. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, Eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. Begotten, not made, of one in being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. 
We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, little C, by the way, little C Catholic. Universal. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. It's the Nicene Creed. Do you remember when the Council of Nicaea happened? Like early 300s or something like that? Well, why did this, why did they have to come up with this, this statement, this creed, this I believe, we believe, we believe, we believe, we believe? Probably because there was some heresy that was saying otherwise. Exactly. And that's really the only time councils came together was because they had to fight against something that was in, inaccurate, that was errant, that was uh, aberrant in theology. But because of those times, we now have rich pieces of doctrine that we can look at that we can remind ourselves of, that hopefully we can commit to memory. Because do you realize how much rich, deep theology is in there? We believe in one God. By the way, the first person of that God is the Father. The maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. And you can just keep on going and you can dig down when you have this kind of a framework, even though it's in a much simplified form, you have this framework, it allows you to chew on it. It allows you to meditate on it. It allows you to hear the words recited in your head and say, okay, this is talking about God the Father. This is talking about the nature of God the Son. This is talking about who the Holy Spirit is. This is talking about why did he do these things. And it allows you to meditate on Scripture. It allows you to think about who God is. It allows you to store in your heart his words so that you might not sin against him. Good morning. Good morning. So the Nicene Creed is um, just the layout of it, extremely Trinitarian. I mean, it is, the point of it is to say we believe in one God who's made in three, not made, sorry, bad word. <laughs> that was totally bad. Who consists of, we're still possibly getting into partialism here. <laughs> Three persons. Okay, so let's fix it. No, we believe in one God who is three persons. Well, our study begins, beginning today, is the Word made flesh. And so what we're going to do is narrow down in to just on the person of the Son the second member of the Trinity, the Godhead, the Son. And in 
very similar fashion to the wonderful theology that you can constantly hold on to in the Nicene Creed and all the other creeds that are out there and the catechisms that are out there. Um, we have this little pamphlet here, little booklet here, called The Word Made Flesh. It is the Ligonier Statement on Christology. And we've got one for each of the families here, potentially more than that. We, I don't know how many we'll have, but... Now, in preparing to teach this class, uh, Jeremy called those who would be the teachers together. We sat around and discussed. We went through this pamphlet. We uh, discussed how we wanted to approach uh, teaching it. We discussed um, who would teach it, how would we break this down into five equal chunks. And we were not successful. We had to turn it into six. Why did we want to do five? Well, because it was going to be perfect timing for starting this week until Christmas. Boom. Five weeks. You know, this is about Christ, the Word made flesh. So it perfectly lines up with this season that we're beginning in the church called Advent. The coming of Christ. Well, we were not successful, and so, yeah, there was just too much to get to. So we're taking an extra week, uh, and, uh, and that's actually going to be a pretty interesting class. It's going to be a Q&A, as well as um, uh, each of the people who are teaching are going to have a specific topic on that morning that we're teaching as well, on that last morning. So that should be fun. Uh, Jeremy is going to be teaching next week, and then Danny, and then Jeremy Moretz is going to be teaching the following week. John Pouillot, um on uh, the week of December the 18th. And then when we come back from Christmas, all of us are going to be teaching that last uh, session. But in this little pamphlet... I want to actually read what it says, and I know we've got precious little time to get through all that I've written down, so this is not going to be like uh, the previous classes where we've had a lot of discussion back and forth. This is going to be a lot of lecture, okay? So bear with us. Um, if you have questions, please feel free to ask, but we, we've got a lot to go through, so we've got to try to move on. So R.C. Sproul in the spring of 2016 wrote this, Who is Jesus Christ? Nearly every adult person has formed some opinion of Jesus. These opinions may be superficial, uninformed, or downright heretical. The truth about Jesus, not mere opinion, matters, and it matters eternally. Those who bear the name Christian profess to follow Christ as his disciples. They hold a Christology. A doctrine of Christ that reflects their view of Christ. This Christology may be articulated implicitly or explicitly. 
It may represent the depth of biblical revelation and historic Christian reflection on Scripture, or it may be novel and disconnected from God's Word. But no professing Christian lacks a Christology. Since following Christ is central to Christianity, the Church has labored for centuries to proclaim the Christ of history and Scripture, not the Christ of our imaginations. In historic statements of faith such as the Nicene Creed, the definition of Chalcedon, the Heidelberg Catechism, and the Westminster Confession, Christians have articulated the biblical teaching on Christ. Today, these statements are often neglected and misunderstood, resulting in widespread confusion regarding the person and work of Christ. For the glory of Christ and the edification of his people, the Ligonier Statement on Christology seeks to encapsulate the historic, orthodox, biblical Christology of the Christian Church in a form that is simple to confess, useful in helping to teach the Church's enduring faith, and able to serve as a common confession around which believers from different churches can rally for mission together. This statement is not a replacement for the Church's historic creeds and confessions, but a supplement that articulates their collective teaching on who Christ is and what he has done. May Christ use it for his kingdom. In the name of God's incarnate Son, our prophet, priest, and king. So what is this statement? It's basically a new or modern day creed. And I figured while we were discussing this, hey, what if we memorized it? What if we memorized it together? Everybody in that meeting thought, hey, that's a pretty good idea. Let's do that. So we're going to take this creed in chunks. And we're going to do it in a way that um, uh, you, some of you probably heard uh, me teach on how to memorize. But we're going we're gonna to start it this week and hopefully continue it for the six weeks of the class. And by the time we're done, we should all have it memorized. I have not started memorizing it yet. I didn't want to get, you know, ahead of you because I want to do this together. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the entire thing and then we're going to focus uh, for a little while, very, very short, on the first section that we're going to try to memorize together, okay? So on page three of uh, this, uh, we have the statement. We confess the mystery and wonder of God made flesh and rejoice in our great salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. With the Father and the Holy Spirit, the Son created all things, sustains all things, and makes all things new. Truly God, he became truly man, two natures in one person. He was born of the Virgin Mary and lived among us. Crucified, dead, and buried, he rose on the third day, ascended to heaven, and will come again in glory and judgment. For us, he kept the law, atoned for sin, and satisfied God's wrath. He took our filthy rags and gave us his righteous robe. He is our prophet, priest, and king, building his church, interceding for us, and reigning over all things. Jesus Christ is Lord. We praise his holy name forever. Amen. 
There is so much deep and rich theology in this short little creed. And if we can commit it to memory, and I am confident that the Holy Spirit, who brings all things to remembrance, will, at the times we need it, bring it to our remembrance. That I have a um, very simple method of memorizing things. Um, I learned it at a time where um, I was fairly lacking in my desire even to read the Word. Um, I, I knew that there was something missing. I didn't know exactly what it was, and I happened upon this little tiny pamphlet on Amazon on, on how to memorize Scripture. Very, very simple process. It starts out with picking what you want to memorize. First day, you read it silently ten times. So you just take one verse, one section, and you read it silently ten times. So let's do that. In your heads, silently read this together. I know everybody has a different reading speed, and I don't want to um, short-circuit this process. Okay. But this is not something that we're just going to do today. We do this every day. So as you have this book, I want every day, just silently to yourself, read the words that are on the paper ten times. Then, after you've read them silently, read them out loud. So now you're using a different set of memory skills. Your, your first set was just the scene. Now your second set is going to be the scene, the motor movements of your mouth, the hearing of the words that are coming out of your mouth. So ten times recite the verse. Let's do it, to, let's do it together. We confess the mystery and wonder of God made flesh and rejoice in our great salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. We confess the mystery and wonder of God made flesh and rejoice in our great salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. We confess the mystery and wonder of God made flesh and rejoice in our great salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. We confess the mystery and wonder of God made flesh and rejoice in our great salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. We confess the mystery and wonder of God made flesh and rejoice in our great salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. We confess the mystery and wonder of God made flesh and rejoice in our great salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. We confess the mystery and wonder of God made flesh and rejoice in our great salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. We confess the mystery and wonder of God made flesh and rejoice in our great salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. We confess the mystery and wonder of God made flesh and rejoice in our great salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. We confess the mystery and wonder of God made flesh 
and rejoice in our great salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. We confess the mystery and wonder of God made flesh and rejoice in our great salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's it for today. Tomorrow, do the same thing. Now, in memorizing scripture, what we would do is we would go on to the next verse. And the way that we would do this is we would recite the first verse from memory as best we can ten times. Put that one aside. Do the same thing with the second. Recite it ten times. Read it ten times. Recite it ten times. Then stick the first one with the second one. Recite the first one once. Recite the second one once. You're done for the day. Next day, you continue on that process. You continue on that process. We're going to do this on a, on a five-week schedule so that by our last class, the sixth class, hopefully we have all five of these sections memorized together. And I, I put sections in quotes because the last section is actually made up of two sections, but both of them are fairly short so we can kind of condense them into one for the purposes of memorization. <clears throat> okay. So, your homework is to, every day, do this once a day, um, this process. You saw how short it took. It didn't take long at all. You will be surprised on day three and four how much of it you remember you will be utterly flabbergasted by the end of it that you remember it all trust me it works so that then brings us to the meat of our discussion today which is the articles on which this statement is founded. Um, and unfortunately, the articles don't line up exactly with the statement, so there's going to be a little bit of my walking on Jeremy's section and we're walking on Danny's section. So it's, it's going to be you know, a little, uh, a little overlapping, but that's okay. That just adds to the repetition. So on page seven, we get to certain articles. Oh, wait a minute. I thought we were memorizing this. Oh, yes. But when you look at this, when you look at this confession that we're making, our rejoicing in something, what are we confessing? We're confessing that this thing, this God made flesh, is a mystery and a wonder. And when we think about the God of God made flesh, who are we talking about specifically? We're talking about Christ. We're talking about the second person of the Godhead becoming man. Which then, if we know who he is, what has he done? So it immediately causes us to think about his work. 
His work, what's his work? It's our great salvation that he accomplished for us. By remembering the statement, we can contemplate further what each of the individual parts mean, where they come from, and the scriptures that are used to come up with the statement to begin with. So Article 1. We affirm that Jesus is the incarnation in history of the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity. He is Christ, God's promised Messiah. And someone read uh, down there in the little teeny tiny words, the point number one. It's on the bottom of the page. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So in each of these articles, we have um, a, a, a list of texts, really. The first one is written out for us in full. Um, and this one here is John 1, 1 and 14. We affirm that Jesus is the incarnation in history of the eternal Son of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the incarnation in history of the eternal Son of God. Hold on. The eternal Son of God. No beginning, no end. Always existing. Uh, having all of the same attributes as the Father... Omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, knowing all things. He became flesh. That's a mystery and a wonder. How is it possible? So along with these affirmations also come denials. We are not only saying who we believe Christ is, but we are also specifically saying what he is not. So we deny that Jesus Christ is a mere man or was a fictional creation of the early church. Why would this denial need to be here? Unless someone said... Oh, Jesus is just a mere man. Unless someone said, ah, Jesus, he was just a fictional creation of the early church. Again, this is, this is a codification of what we believe based upon what Scripture has always said uh, and kind of as a result of what people are saying that's inaccurate. Okay, uh, someone get ready to read the little number two. 
But before we do, we're going to go on to Article 2. We affirm that in the unity of the Godhead, the eternally begotten Son is consubstantial. There's a little Greek word right next to it. Homoousios. Co-equal and co-eternal with the Father and the Holy Spirit. What does this mean? Just read it for, you know, for the words that are on the page. What does it mean? Same substance. Con, substantial. Is of the same substance. Well, that reminds me of the of the Nicene Creed, where it said, "God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one in being with the Father." Well, this whole portion of of the Nicene Creed came about because of this little Greek word, homoousios. And another Greek word, uh, homoousios, which homoousios, same substance, the same substance, which means God the Father, God the Son are both truly God, God the Holy Spirit, the same substance, not homoousios, which is it's similar. It's a similar substance. No, absolutely not. That's not what Scripture affirms. We deny that the Son is merely like God. Or that he was simply adopted by the Father as his Son. We deny the eternal subordination of the Son to the Father in the ontological trinity. What? Are they even speaking English anymore? Let's make this simple, okay? Ontological. It's the ology, ontology, ontology, the study of being, the origination of, the, the self-existence um, of. The ontological trinity. When we're thinking of the trinity, usually we are thinking of the trinity in relation to us. We're thinking, okay, God the Father from before the foundation of the world. Um, he loved us. He lavished his love upon us. The, the Son at a particular moment in time came down and was incarnate and lived and died and was the perfect sacrifice for us and then rose again. And the Holy Spirit... He convicts us of sin and brings us to Christ, reminds us of the things of Scripture. But the ontological trinity is who is God in and of himself. And this particular um, denial is because of a fairly recent um, argument in the church about the subordination of the Son to the Father. And we're talking about 
some things that just make your brain hurt if you think about it too hard. Okay? What it's basically saying is that for all of eternity, the Son has always been a little lower than the Father. If, her, if they're of the same substance, that negates that possibility altogether. God is God. They're the same substance. There cannot be any subordination of the Son or of the Holy Spirit because they are all equally God. But, I mean, it's, it's in here because it is a recent argument in intramural circles. There are plenty of people who would agree with the eternal subordination of Jesus, the, the, the Son of God to the Father, who we would still consider to be Christian. This is an intramural discussion. This is not a, if you believe that, you're a heretic and you're, you can't even be considered part of the church. That's not this. But it is important enough because we're talking about who the Son of God is. And if we are Christians, if we are little Christs, uh, if we are followers of this person, we ought to know who this person is. So we affirm that in the unity of the Godhead, the eternally begotten Son is consubstantial. He is of the same substance, co-equal, and co-eternal with the Father and the Spirit. All right, little, little number two. Someone read that. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so why is this, this the uh, proof text for this section? Because it talks about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There are other texts, and I highly encourage you to, on your own time, read through them. Encourage your, yourself in the knowledge that Scripture talks about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that it is not different in the New Testament about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit to what the Jews recite as the Lord God is one. There's no difference here. For commanding to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, clearly demonstrates his equality with the Father. A prime. Okay. We're, uh, wow. <laughs> Article 3. We affirm with the Nicene and Chalcedonian creeds that Jesus Christ is both truly God and truly man. Two natures united in one person forever. We deny that the Son was created. We deny that there was ever a time when the Son was not divine. We deny that the human body and soul of Jesus Christ existed prior to the incarnation of the Son in history. Someone, uh, for sake of time, uh, three, the little three. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. 
Colossians 2.9. Article 4. We affirm the hypostatic union, that the two natures of Jesus Christ are united in his one person without mixture, confusion, division, or separation. We deny that to distinguish between the two natures is to separate. We affirm that in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, we're sorry, we're on Article 5. We affirm that in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, his divine and human natures retain their own attributes. We affirm that the attributes of both natures belong to the one person, Jesus Christ. We deny that the human nature of Jesus Christ has divine attributes or can contain the divine nature. We deny that the divine nature communicates divine attributes to the human nature. We deny that the Son laid aside or gave up any of his divine attributes in the Incarnation. Oh boy, this one could take three or four weeks of a class just to go through. How is it possible, this mystery and wonder, that God, the eternal God, God, the same substance God as the Father God, who has omnipresence, was made flesh. And in that flesh, he is at a particular place, seated at the right hand of the Father. How is it possible that one person the person of Jesus Christ is both in a single place and at the same time is everywhere. God the Son did not lose any of his divine attributes when he took on flesh, which means that he is omnipresent has always been omnipresent and will always be omnipresent. And yet, the Son, Jesus, is at a particular place right now. And until he returns again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession for us. It's a mystery, and it's a wonder. We confess that we are limited in our understanding of theology, and that we must be okay with God having secret things that belong to him alone. It is a mystery and a wonder that the eternal creator would take on creatureliness. Succinctly put, God made flesh. And then, when we think about who that person is, it immediately leads us to his work 
And it's as a result of his work that we rejoice. What's his work? Our great salvation. Heavenly Father, your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. We could not ever fully comprehend you. But thank you, Father, that you have given us your word so that we might apprehend you just a little bit. That we might see you through a glass dimly but that you have given us the promise that one day we will see you clearly. Father, we look forward to that day. But until then, we thank you for giving us your word, for telling us about who you are, for telling us about who your Son is, for telling us about who your Holy Spirit is. We thank you, God, that you are who you are. We thank you, Father, for loving us from before the foundation of the world and sacrificing your Son on our behalf. We thank you, Son. We thank you, Jesus, for being willing to put yourself to death for us. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for constantly guiding us and reminding us of sin and of righteousness and pointing us to Jesus. We thank you, Father, for your love and your grace. Without your love, we would not be able to love you back. Thank you for allowing us to love you. Thank you for allowing us the privilege to come into your throne room of grace, boldly asking for the things that we need knowing that you love us and that you will give us all the things that we need. Father, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.